from the Esquire Lounge in downtown Champaign, it's time for Monday Night Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Featuring the News Gazette media sports writers, Matt Daniels, Bob Osmussen, and Scott Ritchie. Delivering the latest insights on the Illini and more. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. 217-351-5357. Now, live from the Esquire Lounge on Walnut Street in downtown Champaign, here are the News Gazette media sports writers and your host, Steve Kelly. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Monday Night Sports Talk with you until 6 o'clock this evening. Bob Osmussen is here. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you. I made it. I'm here. Scott Ritchie, Matt Daniels, you, you're talking to your your people out there. His loyal fans. Well, there's lots of nice people here every week, and it's great to visit with them all the time. But I really look forward to Mondays just because of that. That's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> the Illini rated it up, up a couple spots in the uh, national ratings this week, up to number 21 in the Associated Press poll, 22 in the Coaches poll. Scott Ritchie is a voter in that regard, and uh, where'd you have them, Scott, in your poll? Uh, I moved them up uh, to 22, so one off of where they finished, uh, and if I would have, I couldn't have ranked, I could have ranked them one, and they still would have finished 21. The, the gap between Memphis at 20 and Illinois at 21 was 194 points, so the most they could have gotten from me was 25. I gave them three instead. Baylor is the new number one team, the seventh number one team so far this season. So that's probably not good news for them, is it, Matt? Probably not. Uh, yeah, they, they leapfrogged uh, Gonzaga for the top spot this week, and uh, Kansas got a vote as well for the, the top team in the country. They're checking at number three. Uh, Rutgers is in the poll for the first time in 41 years, so that's quite impressive. Uh, th but there's five Big Ten teams in the top 25, and a handful more receiving votes, including Purdue. Six more. Six more. So basically the entire Big Ten uh, is, is getting some uh, some national recognition, including Purdue, who uh, who Illinois faces tomorrow night over at uh, Mackey Arena in, in West Lafayette. I saw one uh, bracketology matrix that had 12 Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament. I don't know that that'll happen, but uh, as of right now, I guess you could make a case for that. Yeah, I, mean, I think the... M the most a conference ever got was 10 or 11. I think ACC maybe got 11 in one season a few years ago. 12 would be something, considering that would just mean uh, Nebraska, Northwestern are going to be left out. Uh, I doubt the Big Ten will get that many, just simply for the fact that they're going to conference is going to beat up on each other over the next month and a half. And whoever winds up at the, the bottom of the pile, at least above Nebraska, Northwestern, will probably just not have enough wins total uh, to get in. But I saw it was kind of a funny you know, tweet this weekend that it'll be the last week of the regular season and the uh, Big Ten team will play a game, and if it wins, they'll get a double bye in the tournament, Big Ten tournament, and if they lose, they'll have to play Wednesday in the play-in game just because of how tight the standings are packed right now. And, and Michigan State's uh, leading the way with 6-1, and one, and then everybody else except for Nebraska Northwestern as a qualifier, is like maybe two games back, right. two or three. Yeah, Rutgers, Illinois, both five and two, one game back. And this is a critical week 
Actually, a critical couple of weeks for the Illini, but uh, this week, especially tough, Scott, with uh, two games on the road at Purdue and at Michigan. Yeah, and there, there's seven total Big Ten road wins so far this season. Illinois has one, obviously, uh, winning at Wisconsin. So uh, it's not going to be easy, and you know, Mackey Arena has its reputation as being one of the tougher places to play in the country. I mean, for a reason. You know, fans show up and are loud and are right on top of the action. But Illinois has beaten Purdue and Michigan already this season uh, and beat Purdue pretty handily here in, uh, in Champaign. So they've got that going for them. But if they even win one of these two, I mean, that would be a, another kind of pretty significant step forward. Yeah, Illinois hasn't won at Purdue since uh, December 30th, 2008. So uh, it's been a while. And Mackey Arena is, is one of the hardest places to play in the country. And then Illinois gets to turn right around and, uh, you know, travel to Ann Arbor for an 11 a.m. tip on, on Saturday. So this is a, a chance for Illinois to not only assert themselves nationally and maybe even climb up the AP rankings, uh, even if they get a split this week. Uh, but if they win two, uh, I mean, that vaults them maybe into the top 15 category in the country and really, you know, helps their resume uh, come March because, you know, the end of January, you got Minnesota coming to town next Thursday night. Illinois should win that, and then they go to Iowa on uh, on Super Bowl Sunday for a tough game against the Hawkeyes. But then February is kind of a critical juncture for them. You got Maryland at home here on a Friday night, and then Michigan State comes to town, and then two games out east at Penn State and Rutgers, and you know a three-day span. So Illinois got uh, you know like Brad Underwood says all the time, the Big Ten's the best conference in college basketball, and there's no easy games. The Big Ten tournament should be fun, shouldn't it, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how you could even begin to predict what would happen. Uh, I mean, how many days are you going to pack for? Well, I'll pack for all of them. Five or well, I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, if Illinois is not going to play Wednesday, uh, and I have an idea of that, I can avoid packing for six days or whatever it turns out to be. But uh, I'll be prepared. A couple of football notes from last week, Bob. Some. Uh, Adjustments to the coaching staff. A couple right. of coaches on the way out, and uh, for uh, their own reasons, and right. a couple of new hires. Yeah, and go bird leaving. I think that was more a, a family decision, not so much a football decision. I think him and Lovey Smith are very, cl very close, close friends, and I'm sure that's crushing to the coach that he had to leave, but also probably understanding that the guy has f some family things he wants to take care of. So that makes more sense. His wife has apparently not been here for two years. She's still in San Diego, so it'd be hard to be away from your wife for that long. And uh, there's, uh, I think there's an illness in the family as well. So I think Gil's doing the right thing for him. And uh, the two coaches they hired sound like young, energetic uh, guys, good recruiters, and guys that can be very helpful to Levy Smith going forward. And they have to, they've got one more class to sign here in the next month or so. I think adding two or three players could be critical. Alfred Davis will coach the uh, defensive right. tackles. Jimmy Lindsay, the defensive ends. So they're kind of splitting up what uh, Austin Clark did there. Right, and Austin Clark did a really good job as a recruiter, and I've heard great things from the players about him as a coach. He was young. You could get in there with him, mess around with them, make sure they were doing the right things. And I think they – I think – Levy Smith really values those spots, so I think these guys are probably pretty good at what they do. Did you guys watch some uh, pro football yesterday, Matt? Watched a little bit of it. Uh, go Chiefs. Uh, for those Chiefs fans out there, long awaited. We've got some in the audience here. So uh, Nick Allegretti, former Illini, will uh, get the chance to kind of follow the Ted Karras route right. and, and 
be kind of a backup and, and you know end his rookie season uh, with the Super Bowl, the former Illinois offensive lineman uh, with the Chiefs, and then uh, you know pride of Charleston, Illinois, Jimmy Garoppolo, go Big Blue, uh, quarterback the 49ers. So uh, should be an interesting Super Bowl. Um, you know both teams have high-powered offenses, kind of get it done different ways. You know the Chiefs rely on, on Patrick Mahomes, and then. 49ers, you know, it was weird watching the NFC title game yesterday, Raheem Mostert. I remember watching him at Purdue, and he just terrorized Illinois' defense, and I thought the Green Bay Packers' defense was a lot better than, you know, the 2014 Illinois defense, but uh, apparently not. So, uh, yeah, the, the 49ers are back in it, so two kind of storied franchises, and eager to see what uh, plays out of the Super Bowl. You don't see many playoff games, or any NFL games for that matter, where the quarterback throws eight passes. And that's what uh, Garoppolo did. He went six for eight for 77 yards. Showing the accuracy, uh, the marksmanship that he showed all those years at O'Brien Stadium in Charleston playing to in front of a few thousand people. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that, that, uh, you know, that's kind of been the bread and butter for the 49ers this season. And, you know, Garoppolo's turned the ball over a few times uh, this season, so that's kind of been a bugaboo. But uh, it's interesting, too, just kind of the local connections, uh, you know, with the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan, the coach, his dad, Mike Shanahan, Eastern Illinois graduate as well. Scott and I are EIU grads, so that's why we're you know hitting hard on on the Panthers tonight. Uh, assistant to the head coach. Uh, I really want to know what that 49ers. job is. Uh, he, I, uh, it's Nick Cray, uh, who is also a former EIU football player. Scott and I have covered him in college. Yeah, uh, so nice fr- guy. Friends with Nick. Uh, he gets a lot of FaceTime because he's right behind Shanahan on the sideline. So yeah. we've just turned the show into an EIU football roundtable. So assistant to the head coach in the NFL, I think. Uh, Nick is in charge of like the practice playlist and uh, like the music, like playlist? the music, yeah. Okay, a- and That's then nice. uh, I don't know what else he does, but it's, <laughs> it's an important job. Well, with you big uh, EIU shooters that you claim to be, mm-hmm. maybe you could get Jimmy Garoppolo f- on this program. Uh, I, right. I told Scott that that's the plan. I, I've, I've talked to him a few times. I, you know, I wrote about him when he was down at Eastern and uh, he was having kind of a standout career. And, uh, I think I talked to him, too, like a month or so after he won the Walter Payton Award, which is the equivalent in FCS for uh, the Heisman. And then as he was getting ready for the com- or for the NFL draft, I tried calling him a few times. He never called me back. So, But Nick Allegretti, we will talk to him hopefully in the next week or two before the Super Bowl. Last yeah. year I got to talk to Ted Garris the week of the game, and I'm hoping so- at some point Nick's just waiting to find when it's okay to talk. Yeah, and, th- and that's a cool story in of itself. I mean, Nick Allegretti was the first uh, commit for Illinois football in the class of 2013, right. committed well ahead of everyone else. And, uh, you know, he was always uh, – y- we followed his high school career closely at Lincoln Way East. You know, he was the last Illini to play in the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, and he wrote a diary for us. Right. Every day he was down in San Antonio for that. And then – uh, you know, emerged as this leader, uh, you know, at Illinois and, and went through some tough times at Illinois, a lot of coaching. Not many wins. Not many wins, coaching right. changes, and, and for him to, you know, get drafted by a franchise like the Chiefs and for him in his rookie season to experience what, what he's able to accomplish and, and what that whole city is, is feeling right now, that's got to be a pretty cool feeling. Super Bowl has to have apparently an Illinois offensive lineman. So Ted Karras for three years in a row, and now Nick for the fourth year. It's kind of cool. Maybe you could use your influence to uh, not only get uh, Garoppolo, but to get Tony Romo, sure. Sean, Sean Payton, Payton, Brad Childress. The, the Greg McMahon. We had Greg McMahon on the other morning, Saturday East, morning. East, Greg McMahon, another EIU graduate. So he's sensing a theme that it's a football <laughs> powerhouse down there in, in Charleston. So, uh, yeah, why, why not? If you have any questions here about Illinois athletics or anything else, raise your hand. We're at the Esquire. We'll be here until 6 o'clock. 
Phone line is open, 356-9397. Monday Night Sports Talk of the Esquire will continue after this. Stay with us. You're listening to Monday Night Sports Talk on DWS, live from the Esquire Lounge in downtown Champaign. Catch every game at the Esquire this season from the Illini to the NFL Sunday ticket. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're at the Esquire, downtown Champaign, until 6 o'clock this evening. Phone lines are open, 356-9397, if you'd like to uh, join us or raise your hand here at the Esquire if you have any questions about anything at all with this uh, group of knowledgeable lads up here. Let's go back to basketball, Scott, and uh, talk about this Big Ten race. Um, I'm not sure any of us saw it going the way it's going so far with so much uh, diversity, so much uh, equalness, if that's a word. but uh, A lot of parity. Parity, that's the word I was looking for. And uh, there's a lot to, to be decided yet, but it could be uh, quite a bit of fun down the stretch. Yeah, because I mean, right now, Illinois and Rutgers are tied for second in the Big Ten. I mean, Illinois would have the tiebreaker, uh, of course, but uh, if anyone predicted that before the season, um, I'd probably call them a liar. Bob, don't jump in and say you thought that was going to happen. No, I thought Illinois would be better. I, I mean, I guess uh, Graham better. Couch from the Lansing State Journal did pick Illinois as the number two team in the Big Ten. So one person thought that, but I don't think anyone thought Rutgers would be uh, as good as they are, although I've talked up Steve Peichel quite a bit, uh, so I'll take some credit for that. Uh, but and, and he got mentioned on Saturday's BTN broadcast, Scott Ritchie up here, so his his head barely fit through the door yep. today at the News Gazette. <laughs> but uh, What did they say about him? Well, I they just mentioned, uh, well, here, good morning, Illini Nation, every morning, 6 a.m. at IlliniHQ.com. Shameless check it plug. Out. But uh, just they mentioned. Did you have your podcast today inside Illini Basketball? I did. It's available now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, at our website, uh, anywhere you really want to listen to Episode number it. 83, I think. 83. Anyway. Uh, they mentioned the fact uh, I wrote about Io DeSumo wanting to improve his mid-range game. He just didn't want to be known as a guy that either attacked the basket or shot threes. Um, and so at the point they said that, they mentioned that he hadn't really shown off his mid-range game much at all, but he did hit that kind of important uh, long two-pointer uh, there late in the game to kind of help seal the winning against Northwestern. So that was my very, very brief moment. And fun fact about that as well is Good Morning Atlanta Nation is uh, published every day at 6 a.m. at our website except for this particular Saturday because Scott forgot to do it, but then he woke up and did it Saturday morning. So. And, and I'm sure if you wouldn't have said that, no one would have known. Yeah, but we, <laughs> we're, thanks, we're, we're, thanks, we're, we're, we're transparent up here. Yeah, we're we're here to inform. That, that shot is lost, is a lost art, correct? I mean – yeah, I nobody's mean, doing it like they should. In the NBA, there are no more mid-range jump right. shots. Uh, Illinois actually shoots quite a few. Uh, Andres Felice is probably their best at that, and that's a, a combination of his kind of bevy of runners and floaters that he can make. Uh, but Georgie Pashanjvili hit a couple baseline jumpers from like 16, 17 feet against Northwestern, which were important uh, against Northwestern zone because that short corner is open. I mean, it's an open spot. Uh, against the 2-3 zone, and he took advantage. And they worked on that in the week leading up to the Northwestern game because they knew the Wildcats were going to play that zone. So it was a matter of, you know, the scouting report, you know, being uh, followed through with. But uh, the Big Ten in general, I mean, Ohio State was so good early in the year with huge wins against Villanova, uh, North Carolina before they were terrible. Uh, well, it's not Roy Williams' State. fault. It's the players' fault. It's, yes, yeah, it's, it's the least talented team he's ever had. And he said that, but Who, whose oh, fault is that? 
it's probably his. Probably right. his. Uh, but then Ohio State's just on a, a terrible run right now and you know, dropped out of the top 25. Michigan was you know, a top five team four weeks ago, five weeks ago, and they're out of the top 25 now. So anything has and probably will continue to happen in the Big Ten. Positioning in, in the Big Ten is important because the rankings aren't critical, even though Scott's of order, which I think is important. But it's not. That's not critical. What's critical is make it the tournament com- committee put you high. If you're a seven or eight or nine, you're in trouble early. You're going to have to play somebody really good. If you're four or five, which Big Ten's not going to get many of those games, then you got a chance. You got a chance to get through an easy game, easier game in the first round. Second round's not quite as hard. But you're a seven, eight, nine. You're going to play a one or two very early. So I think it's critical what these teams do for the, this point forward. Back to that game Saturday, Scott. I thought Northwestern had a good game plan. I thought they executed it pretty well. They, I, I was impressed by the way they played. Yeah, and I know there were some grumblings from the fan base. Never, the, never. The fact that it was uh, only uh, they're, they're a always four point happy win. all the time. Eh, I'd, I'd argue that point. But in Northwestern, I mean, they've lost some pretty terrible games, but they're not the games they've lost. They haven't lost by uh, a ton of points for the most part, and they've competed. Uh, they gave Illinois some trouble with their uh, their big men that can step out and shoot threes, and uh, they're not a terrible team. I mean, they're not, I'm not saying they're good either because I'd argue that, but it was uh, Illinois' best offensive performance. Maybe they slipped a little bit defensively, but uh, I mean, it was a win, four in a row. So, got a got a question in the audience from Shorty. Did you just say that Rutgers had never been ranked? They haven't. This is their first time in the AP poll in 41 years. And they're tied for second in the Big Ten right now. That is true. Yeah, and, and you know, Illinois and Rutgers are, are tied right now for second. And they're only a, a game behind Michigan State. So, uh, and then there's about, what, five teams, I think, sitting at four and three uh, going in. So it's very jumbled, very crowded. Uh, kind of like us up here on stage were just, you know, jumbled and crowded and all sort of mixed up and everything. But the Big Ten is pretty hectic back here. We got, a, I think, another question from a young audience member in the back as well. Matt, I'll ask you this oh and, God. and all three of you. If uh, in the net, in ranking the teams, you have quads. Mm-hmm. The first quad is teams from 1 through 50. Okay. If you beat a 1 through 50 team right now, but at the end of the season – they're not in the top 50. Have you beaten a quad win team? That sounds like a sixth grade math question that I had trouble solving back in my elementary school days. I'm going to turn the answer to Scott here because he's the basketball writer. Um, yes and no. In the <laughs> moment, yes. But, at, I mean, what matters is at the end of the season when the NCAA right. tournament committee selects the field and if it's not a quad one win on whatever that's going to be, March – 15th is selection Sunday? Sure. If, if it's not a quad one win on March 15th, then it wasn't a, it's not a quad one win. Oh, uh, please talk about uh, Luke Garza out at Iowa. Uh, talk about a turnaround. Last year, I don't think anybody in the free world could have predicted him being on TV at the end of the game after 77 <laughs> points in two games. Uh, uh, yeah, how did that happen? Bob, you're a resident Iowa expert. He's really good. Thank you, Bob. I'm sorry, but he Back just uh, clearly here's a guy that did work in the offseason. Iowa DeSumo got better, right? Everybody gets better. This guy hit another level of better. And maybe he's looking at the future. Maybe he's looking, I want to play in the pros. Maybe I should get to get, get, 
get working and get this going, but he looks like otherworldly now. He's one of the best. If he's not the best player in the Big Ten, he's not top two or three. It's like A.C. Earl back in the day? Maybe A.C. Earl. Okay. Uh, that'd be one. I'd go over with Roy Marble more okay. than A.C. Earl. A.C. Earl is kind of a Nah, kind of an underachiever in my mind. But, <laughs> anyway, but I mean, the main thing with Luca Garza is he's shooting a three-pointer much better this season than he did his first two at Iowa, and that's made a difference. And he's getting more shots as well. And uh, with Iowa not having Jordan Bohannon available since he decided to uh, stop his season ten games in and uh, recover from more, I guess, from the hip surgery he had in the offseason. So Luca Garza is the top option right now for Iowa, and he's taking advantage. You know, it's going to be fun picking an all-Big Ten team, especially with the big men. you got a lot of choices there. Yeah, uh, too many, really. Uh, I did this, I don't know, what was it, last week, a week and a half ago or so, kind of just some early thoughts on that. But uh, kind of big men-wise, like Luka Garza, Daniel, Daniel Oturu at Minnesota were the, really the clear-cut choices there. Cassius Winston has played really well at Michigan State, so there's a guard, uh, maybe Anthony Cowan. Uh, from Maryland, and then that fifth spot could go to anybody right now. Maybe Io DeSumo. I was going to say you didn't mention the Illini there, Scott, and they're they're tied for second in the Big Ten. I'm a, I'm a little confused. It's not a team award. It's a okay. individual performance award, and maybe Io DeSumo. If he plays like he has the last four games, then he's almost a sure thing. He's averaging uh, 14 and 14 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds. I think four assists, uh, shooting okay from three-point range. I mean, he's making the big ones, so that matter. But uh, he's putting in uh, a fairly impressive performance in the new year. We'll talk more about tomorrow night's game at Purdue, at West Lafayette, Mackey Arena when we continue. Stay with us. Monday night sports talk from the Esquire in downtown Champaign. We're back with more after this. It's Monday Night Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 with the News Gazette Media Sports Writers. Live from the Esquire Lounge on Walnut Street in downtown Champaign. Try their famous burgers or specialty beaches while you watch the game. Welcome back to the show here at the Esquire in downtown Champaign. Steve Kelly along with Matt Daniels, Scott Ritchie, Bob Osmussen. Phone line is open. 356-9397 is the number. Let's go to the phones. Neil in Bloomington. Hey, Neil. I was Steve tonight. Uh, Scott Ritchie, I was say that uh, Illinois basketball seems like they're on their way back. Got one question for you, then I'm going to let you uh, talk. Um, what does the recruiting look like for next year with uh, the class after this one coming in in uh, August? Thanks for taking my call, and you guys have a good night. All right. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Well, uh, the one thing Illinois really has going for it in the class of 2021 is that they're somewhat ahead uh, recruiting-wise you know, with that class in terms of having you know evaluated some of these players for two years now, you know, getting a jump start, building in those relationships. Because until this class, really, 2021, they've been a little behind just in terms of how early you know, some of these players are targeted by you know, top programs and you know, early in their high school careers. So. And they've done well. You know, even in kind of with that restriction. But uh, I think Illinois offered, I've got to picture my list in my head, like th- I want to say 30-ish you know, prospects in the 2021 class. Uh, in where they go uh, with this class really hasn't been determined yet because a lot will kind of hinge on 
know, what the roster looks like uh, a year from now. But uh, big man will probably be important because Kofi Coburn, while he might not be one and done, I could see two and done in his future. Uh, another guard for sure uh, with Trent Frazier graduating. So, you know, to kind of keep the idea of three point guards on the roster, you'd have to, to get one there. And, uh, you know, just another shooter really on the wing. And they had one of those making an unofficial visit uh, last not last week, so the week before, and Luke Goody, he's a 6'5", 6'6", uh, shooting guard from Fort Wayne, uh, known he is, like he is a shooter, that's, that's his deal, but he's got a lot of high major interest, uh, Butler obviously is after him pretty hard, uh, Xavier, uh, Northwestern, and then Michigan State actually just offered him, so he's going to kind of probably blow up a little bit, but uh, that's, that's one name at least to kind of keep an eye on, and then there's a bunch of uh, in-state players as well. Brandon Weston from Morgan Park. Uh, Isaiah Barnes from Oak Park River Forest. Uh, Louis Lesman from Niles Notre Dame. Who Actually, Niles Notre Dame just got a big win today against Morgan Park, and he played pretty well. I'm trying to think how... Uh, Nate Santos is originally from Geneva. He plays at a prep school in Connecticut right now. But, yeah, there's a lot of... There's more Illinois guys in the 2021 class that uh, Illinois is actually after. Illinois and Purdue tomorrow night, 6 o'clock Central Time. Purdue is a six-point favorite in this ballgame at Mackey Arena, and I'm sure, Matt, that uh, Illinois is going to see a much different Purdue team than the one that scored 37 points at the State Farm Center. Yeah, they, they might see one that can actually make a basket because uh, they had real difficulty doing that, uh, you know, almost, what, two and a half, two, 15 days ago, whenever these two teams played last, and... Uh, yeah, Trevion Williams uh, for Purdue, a uh, big man, has really kind of asserted himself offensively here. Uh, you know, in the last uh, week and a half or so, you got Matt Harms to contend with as well. Uh, so Kofi Coburn's going to have a, a challenge, and you know he responded well to that challenge initially. Because if you think back to it, seems like eons ago now, Illinois was coming off that loss to Michigan State, that 76-56 loss at Michigan State going into that Purdue game, and uh, Kofi really responded well uh, offensively and. Uh, Georgie Pashanzvili, I think, was a you know kind of a the way he played this past Saturday. I think kind of reverted back to you know what he was like as a freshman and kind of gives some confidence to to the Illini going forward. But you know Bob writes about this in in Tuesday's News Gazette. But Mackey Arena is just a hard place to play. Uh, they'll they'll have a sellout there most likely tomorrow night. It gets right. loud there. It's kind of a different setup than you know what you're accustomed to at a normal Big Ten venue and. Purdue's played well at home this year. You know, they're 8-1. and one. Uh, They beat Virginia, you know, the defending national champ earlier this year, 69-40 to 40 there. Uh, they just beat Michigan State, uh, you know, eight days ago, 71-42 at home. Uh, so they've, they've got capable playmakers, and, you know, Illinois can't, can't rest on, on their laurels, can't go in feeling good about themselves. They kind of have to go in with a, a chip on their shoulder. And Iota Sumu kind of mentioned it today, too, that, you know, no one outside of us believes that we're going to go over there and win. So they're, Illinois is already playing up the whole us against the world mentality, even though Illinois is the better team right now than, than Purdue is. Yeah, and there, I'm not sure there's another team in the country that has such a gap between how they play at home and how they play on the road than Purdue. And this is how locked in Illinois is to the scouting report because I would assume we just reeled off these stats off the top of his head this morning. But, like uh, – Slash uh, Stefanovic uh, for Purdue is their best shooter. He's, shoot, he's shooting, I think, 53% from three-point range at home and then 35% from three-point range on the road, which 
that's a huge gap, and I'm not sure how that's even possible. But like, the Boilermakers are significantly better at home than they are in the away from Mackey Arena, and yeah, I mean, they actually track like home court advantage and like who's got the the best home court advantage and something on uh, the Ken Pomeroy, uh, his ratings, and Purdue has the the best home court adva- advantage in the Big Ten wow. per his rankings, and uh, it's proven out over the last well, basically. S- last six years probably, yeah, just as Matt Painter's kind of built them into a you know, more national power. Their losses, I was looking at this, this up today when I was writing for tomorrow, their losses on the road are not, are not all that bad. Obviously, the one here was horrible. But other than that, they played pretty well a lot of these games on the road. So they're not horrible on the road, but they're, you're right. So they're so much better at home. It's crazy how good they yeah, are I mean, a lot of people talk about, like, Mackie magic, but it's Matt Painter magic because I'm not sure. This might be his – Talk about Roy Williams having his least talented team. This is probably Matt Painter's least talented Purdue team in five years, but he still has them competitive. I mean, they were maybe not winning as much, but he's arguably, you know, top three Big Ten coaches. Oh, yeah, absolutely. How many people here have been there to Maggie? Because it feels like I went to bump my head in the roof on the ceiling. It's so, it's so place is so short, but that's why the sound is so good in there. It's, it's, they did a great job picking that really uh, a tough place to play. They well, really did a great job. And you have to think about it, too, going into tomorrow night's game. I mean, Illinois sitting at 13-5, and 5-2 five, five and two in the Big Ten. Right. You know, they've kind of bolstered their resume here over these last two and a half weeks. And then Purdue's kind of at 10. They're sitting at 10-8, and 3-4 and four in the Big Ten. They, they kind of maybe look at this as a game that they really can't afford to lose right. if they want to kind of – you know, make a run and, and find themselves among the field of, of 68 teams later in the year. So if Purdue can, you know, come away with a home win uh, against a nationally ranked Illini team, you know, that, that'll look pretty good on the resume come, uh, come March. Let's talk a little baseball. Won't be long for pitchers and catchers to report uh, about February 10th or 11th in that range, so three weeks away. Interesting week in baseball last to week. To say the least. To say the least. There's some managerial jobs open that uh, – you wouldn't have thought would have been open with the Astros and the uh, the steel or the sign stealing technology that they've gotten into, and we had uh, Darren Fletcher on the Saturday show talk quite a bit about that. But this is a little bit different. Sign stealing uh, stealing has been going on since the 1800s, but this has taken it to a whole different level, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure when Lauren Tate was a star for the EI, he was trying to steal signs uh, back in his day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it goes on. It, it's been going on for decades in, in baseball. But the, the way technology is these days, that's what kind of adds to this other element that, that it is in the game and, and why it is such a huge scandal and why it is such a huge deal and, and why it costs three managers, you know, their jobs in about a five-day span last week. And, uh, you know, Major League Baseball had, a, would say, a perception problem to begin with. Uh, you know, kind of luring in, you know, fans of the game and, uh, you know, the pace of play issues and obviously getting over the whole steroids uh, issue that, that raged there for a while. But this just is another black eye on, on the game, unfortunately. And uh, I'm sure there's still going to be more fallout to come. Uh, it's an interesting situation, too, because you have three managers all get fired or agreed to part ways. Um you know, a month before spring training starts when teams are kind of gearing up to, to get going for the season. So it's just a, an unfortunate situation. But, uh, you know, Major League Baseball came down with a, you know, harsh punishment. And we'll see what changes, if any, kind of come out of this at all. Yeah, I think the, it's not the fact that um, signs are being 
stolen in. That's, that's part of the gamesmanship of baseball, but when you get uh, video involved in technology, that uh, changes it around a little bit, Bob. Oh, no question. I think if it wasn't that, it was just doing, like you said, gamesmanship. That's always been the case for two, two, two centuries they've done that. But here you got something that just went too far, and using the video board and all that stuff, just really bad. And I think baseball has got to watch what it does because the biggest concern is losing some of the integrity of the game. The steroid issue for for a decade really, to me, hurt the game badly. I don't think the pace that plays as big a deal as, and now everybody is suspect. Every every game. Do we trust what's going on? That's the most important thing about sports because everything is so critical that you trust what the, the action is real. So if you have something like that that's going on, it's really make, really ruins the game. So I, I feel bad that those guys got lost their jobs, but they did deserve to lose their jobs. Were the penalties, Scott, in your mind, were they harsh enough? Well, I mean, I guess the initial penalties for the Astros were you know, several million dollar, $5 million fine, uh, suspension for both the manager and the general manager who were then fired, which was probably uh, what was ne what needed to happen. You know, loss of draft picks. I mean, I think it hit on everything that they could have saved for, you know, stripping Houston of its World Series championship. But even if they did that, I mean, Houston still won. Like, people remember – we're at the games and or watch them and remember Houston winning the World Series. So that, that's more of a cosmetic – uh, punishment of it, if anything. I mean, this Louisville basketball, like, they still believe they won the 2013 NCAA title because they did. They don't have a banner, but uh, they won it. So I don't think there's, I mean, more. I mean, I guess you could have fined the, the franchise more, taken more draft picks, but I think the firing of the, the managers so far has probably been the what needed to happen. What about punishment, uh, Matt? For players. Well, and that's something that's going to, you know, come to light. Uh, I mean, that cost Carlos Beltran his, his managerial job with the Mets because he was in, on the Astros team in, in 2017. And um, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of punishment handed down, you'd have to think, because they're the ones that are executing it. But it'll be interesting, I think, too, in the years moving forward, just how this scandal kind of maybe sets a precedent for other sports that are out there. You know, the NCAA is often mocked, and, and rightly so, for kind of their haphazard punishments but major league baseball came down hard and you know they they took away control from the manager and general manager of the astros and instead of punishing you know vacating wins like the NCAA does which is just kind of foolish because everyone saw it they they know what happened um but it, it's going to be i'm i'm curious to see how it affects other sports leagues you know in this in the 2020s you know when a big scandal comes down you know at a university or at another professional team how does that how do these decisions kind of affect future decisions in other sports? Steve, gambling scares me right now because gambling, it's always been out there, obviously. It's been out there, again, for the start of sports. But I think the pressure and some of the things that could happen that really the schools don't have much control over, uh, things like injury reports and those kind of things, that really makes me nervous because I, I think we could be on the precipice of a scandal, major scandals in college sports because of gambling. And I think there's going to be, it's it's pretty hard to find out because people aren't going to talk to get themselves in trouble. So it's really hard to, so I think that uh, sports have, have to be really careful about how they do things, what they do, and be proactive. Don't wait for something bad to happen. 
I think you've got to get an odd in front. So baseball has to, okay, figure out wh why this happened and then make sure it doesn't happen again. So thank, same for gambling in college sports, especially football and basketball. I'll say if gambling forces college football to go to an injury report of some kind, oh Lovey Smith will hate it. <laughs> but he'll do it. I'll love it. Be, he'll do it because everybody else, else does. All yeah. he cares about is being level playing field. So I, I'm with him on that. But I think they should all, at this point, they should all be forced to do it, and it should be very mandatory and also very accurate. And they should maybe bring somebody independent to verify what the, what the, what the coaches say or what the schools say. So I think that's critical. I think we're going to have to have this happen because otherwise, imagine uh, somebody on the on the team, but maybe on the periphery, who has inside information about it, the team being injured. Let's say you knew about Illinois' injury situation going into the bowl. How valuable would that have been to a gambler? Well, I'll tell you how much, a lot. So you got to really be careful with this stuff. And I think they have to protect that part of the game. Otherwise, we're going to get to the point where we don't trust what's going on. That's really a problem. Illinois had a couple of guys in the East-West Shrine game over the weekend. Reggie Corbin, DeLay Harding. What do you think their chances are at the next level, Bob? I think they'll both be, have a, they'll both be in the camp whether or not they get drafted. I think we've seen over the last couple of years that doesn't really matter. If you can play, the NFL will find you. They'll make sure you're on a roster. They'll give you a chance as a free agent or as a late-round draftee. And Nick Nick Allegretti is a great example. What six seventh round? Seventh round. Seventh round. The Chiefs. He's gonna check cash a really big check from the Super Bowl. So he's a great example. They will find you. And I think the, both those guys have uh, NFL level games. I think uh, Daly Harding will need the right situation. Reggie Corbin, really versatile in terms of catching passes. Uh, I think he could try to return the kicks and obviously a great runner. So I think those things make him valuable. I think his versatility is good. I think a, other, a couple other guys in Illinois will have a chance, so I think that's critical. The more guys in Illinois can put in the NFL, the better off they're going to be. Have either one of you guys uh, caught up with uh, Dre Brown lately and uh, wondering about his way of thinking right now? I've not talked to him. I'd like to. I probably will at some point before. The, Sounds uh, like a future column, Bob. Thank you. Pro timing day is middle of March, and so I think what – once we get around that time, we'll do something a bit, a bit close to that. Yeah, and, and I think guys like Dre Brown and, and Daley Hardy and Reggie Corbin can find a spot on an NFL team based on their, their special teams potential. Right, absolutely. Uh, you know, Daley Harding contributed significantly on that, oh. you know, his first three seasons at Illinois. Reggie Corbin, to me, seems like a guy that could maybe be effective in the return game. Uh, you know, Dre Brown has proven he can be effective in the return game. I mean, Corbin's a guy that's not an every down back. He wasn't like that at Illinois. He, he can be created. Coaches can find ways to get him the ball, though, in space and, and watch him go to work. And, you know, what Harding was able to do this year, you right. know, was he was kind of not only the nation's second best tackle and the Big Ten leading tackle, but he was really just kind of a key leader for this Illinois team. And NFL teams are going to take note of that. Three, three letters, XFL will be another chance for these guys. The NFL doesn't work for them. They have a chance to maybe make it to lot, that level, too. So if a that lot league, of options. If that league stays around. Well, I think it'll be stay around. It seems like they've got some money behind it. So the XFL is an option for those guys, too, kind of a, as a kind of maybe the uh, G League of NFL. We had the basketball recruiting question earlier from Neil. What about football recruiting? The next signing period is coming up. How are you feeling about that, Bob? Well, they're almost done. Uh, they're down to a couple of guys. I think they basically they've saved spot, some spots in case there's a guy out there they can fill a need. Defense tackle, offensive line, something like that. That's what they'll do. 
Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they hold on to two or three for the summer and figure out who's in the transfer portal and try and exploit that again like they did with the USC transfers and, uh, you know, their starting quarterback, Brandon Peters. Are we out of time yet, Steve? Almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, the, the luster of signing day in February is, you know, kind of lost its way. Uh, you know, with the early signing period. But Jaden Thompson's still out there, Naperville Central wide receiver. And if he signs with Illinois, it's the first in-state signee in the class right. of 2020. Right there's your answer. There we go. The music's playing. We survived again. Hey, we appreciate you Thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks, guys. coming tonight on WDWS Champaign-Urbana, Monday Night Sports Talk at the Esquire. We'll be here again next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night.